Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ninth episode of D&D Debates, a podcast where a bunch of us friends try to argue why their fifth edition D&D opinions are the most correct opinions. Today, we're looking at one of my one of my favorite parts of the game, flavor. There's more to the game than mechanics, as I've talked about a lot here, and I can't wait to hear about the best ways y'all like to spice up the aesthetics. Uh, I'm your moderator for this episode, and who are my lovely debaters who join me here today? I am Scott. I'm Tori. And uh, I'm Jake. Perfect. Now, the way this works, as always, is we have three rounds of debate uh, debates, questions. The first two, my, pl- my not players, wow, debaters here uh, already know. The last one is a fun surprise that I will spring on them when the time comes. And uh, before we hop in, I'm going to clarify that, yes, flavor and aesthetics are very subjective, but here in the Dean Debates, we don't really care about that. We're here to be petty and stubborn, not open and constructive. So with that being said, let's hop right into the first question. Just out of the gate, I want to know what subclass has the most flavor? You know, not necessarily the most potential for flavor. Uh, you know, like a battle master fighter, it has a lot of potential for flavor. Uh, I want something that has just the most inherent flavor burst of fun and style. Uh, I'll give you guys 90 seconds. Let me find a die. Oh no, need a die to roll with Seagus first. Okay, that is, I rolled a d20. That's not gonna help me. I was gonna figure that out later. <laughs> Let me do. Okay, Thursdays. Okay, Scott, you're going first. I will give you 90 seconds. And whenever you are ready, tell me what has what subclass has the most flavor. Okay. In terms of immediate, obvious, and explosive flavor, I do not think you can do better than the Aberrant Mind Sorcerer. It is one of the only subclasses that both allows you to play whatever kind of character, personality-wise, that you like, and include strong physical flavor and uh, uh, strong tropes for you to play into in every ability that it has. I want to cover three pillars that I think makes this sorcerer both the most flavorful spellcaster and the most versatile of the options we're presenting. Firstly, the flavor text and associated psionic origins tables offers whispering influences, imaginary best friends that aren't so imaginary, schizophrenic visions of tentacles, far realm creatures growing inside and outside of you. There are RP implications for all of these origins, uh, which is crucial. Second, I think it's vital that the aberrant mind has physicality attached to it. Revelation in flesh, its 14th level ability, has you manifesting writhing cilia, uh, tendrils growing from your eye sockets, graying warped skin. You are becoming a Cthulhu creature as you grow in power. They enforce a psychic maddening vibe by allowing you to cast without requiring components, telepathic speech, black holes. It has great evocative ability after great evocative ability. Third, and most importantly for spellcasters, the spells. With many spellcasters, subclasses depend on you picking flavor-appropriate spells, but Aberrant Mind gives you these flavorful spells already baked into the class. Evard's Black Tentacles, Sending, Telekinesis, Hunger of Hadar. It's rare in making sure that all of your abilities are strongly tied to the Psychic Cthulhu flavor. All right, three seconds over. That's not a huge deal, though. Aberrant Mind Sorcerer, very interesting. That is some good arguments put out there. Uh, but let's see who goes next. I put away my die. What am I doing? Okay, Corey, you are next. You're in second. So, uh, uh, Mind, what do you think is better than the Mind Sorcerer? 
Today I will be arguing the Circle of Stars Druid. Uh, so in terms of flavor, Druids are always seen as a class full of environmentalist mages that wear shades of green and brown. And who can, who can blame that perception? You know, this is the, the, the traditional aesthetic. But the biggest concept in the Druidic world is in fact nature. But what is nature? Is it the trees, the earth, the flora, the fauna? The answer is not always. The Circle of Stars Druids serves the purpose to explore the natural facet of the stars with an astrological flavor that extends Druids' attunement to nature to more than just the immediate uh, greenery of the world's ground level. Astronomy is a natural science after all. You get reflavored spell focus in the form of a customizable star map. You get to use wild shape to take form of constellations, the animals of the cosmos, the starry form, and you get to use uh, astrological guidance with the cantrip and guiding bolt as well as cosmic omen. The Circle of Stars Druid is by far the most flavorful subclass because it takes everything about the baseline concepts and mechanics of Druids being in touch with the powers of nature and using that power to take different natural forms and cast spells that reflect such a connection and recontextualizes them to exemplify the natural aesthetic of the stars, astrology, astronomy, cosmology, etc. It's super cool, super flavorful, and gives a Druid more flavor than what may seem to be the classic feel of any other Druid subclass and any other subclass, period. Wow, fantastic. And I have zero bias in this at all. I think for uh, you just amazing uh, bonus points out of the gate. Like I said, no bias whatsoever towards that decision. I am completely neutral here. Amanda, I thought and... you were playing a Circle of Stars Druid in their campaign that Jake's What? What? No, I mean, yeah. And she is like my favorite character in the entire world, but that's like besides the point. My bad, my bad. Yeah. Like I said, I'm completely neutral. I'm objective moderator. Uh, although I'm a Jake, scummy debater. I'm a I'm a cheap player. Everyone he, listening so out there, I'm, I'm a cheap player. in the chaos round. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jake, you have 90 seconds. Tell me, uh, what do you think is the most flavorful subclass? Well, uh, you two have gone for something new and shiny in Tasha's. I'm going for something a bit more old-fashioned. I'm going for the Hexblade Warlock. Um, and I think all subclasses are people from their own way, of course, but I think Hexblade gives opportunities for a Warlock that its other subclasses do not necessarily. Um, so the other Warlocks, you have patrons of these greater beings. But the thing with the Hexbladed Warlock is that your patron kind of is always there with you. So it's going to be the weapon you wield, uh, usually. Um, and throughout the whole game, the DM will have the opportunity to maybe the sword kind of whispers to them, guides them along the way. Uh, maybe, um, and when you're using it in battle, it really feels like you're using the power of your patron like other times you're just spamming eldritch boss or something and you know your they, your patron gave you those powers but it doesn't really feel like your patron is doing it uh, for you um and it also gives your dm a great chance to introduce some weapon into the world build some lore around it and the player can kind of learn about this weapon as they go along and their connection to it can improve as they level up uh, you also get some of the opportunities to combine melee and magic something few subclasses can do um so and i think just the amount of possibilities there's a lot um uh yeah i'm out of time so i'll stop there oh that's good times that up anyways perfect love that we have abert mind sorcerer circle stars druid and hexblade warlock i'll give you a couple minutes to just argue it out and tell me why you're the most correct 
I'd like to address the elephant in the room real quick uh, and make a small disclaimer. Um, now, the circle of stars is the bastion of flavor before this debate in Amanda's eyes. I am not so insane to argue that the circle of stars is without flavor. It's one of the most flavorful subclasses in the game. What I am instead going to argue is that it requires... Vega is a very, very flavorful character, and I love that flavor. However, if you don't pick, you know, if you don't boost your intelligence, if you don't pick spells like divination, uh, it requires a lot of player choice to play into a very specific archetype. That archetype is very flavorful. You play a diviner, that's a very cool thing to do. That's the only thing you do as a Circle of Stars druid. The mechanics back up like other combat options and everything, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I am saying is that if you are not playing an astronomer, diviner type character who has like this wise, scientist, intelligent kind of vibe, you are undercutting the subclass and you come up with muddled flavor. The aberrant mind, by contrast, is more malleable because it allows you to be afraid of your psionic powers. It allows you to embrace them and be a master manipulator behind the scenes. It contains just as much flavor inside the subclass but it also allows for differences in motivation and differences in vibes that I don't think are present in the Circle of Stars Druid, as strong as it is flavorfully. Yeah, you know, uh, Amanda, I'm sure you thought that Corey arguing for Circle of Stars Druids was a compliment of sorts, saying that your subclass is inherently the most flavorful, but I would argue it's the opposite. Thy claiming oh? it is so, it's he's saying, well, I'm not, I don't think Corey actually believes this, but that the flavor of Vega is due inherently because of her subclass. And I don't think that's the case. I think, as Scott said, she is a flavorful character, but I think it's through her own choices and her decisions to kind of manifest her subclass through this path of divination and such that makes her flavorful. It isn't inherently being... The exactly. What what happens if you grab a circle of stars druid? This this is why I'm arguing that like the spell casting is a big part of of my class. What happens if you grab a circle of stars druid and you have a new player who just kind of picks spells at random and the spells they pick they don't they don't have moonbeam they don't have any like fun star style things they just kind of pick up like giant insect because that sounds kind of cool or they pick up like grasping vine or entangle or plant growth they and they a lot of the druid spells bleed back into just classic druid things and it gives this kind of muddied vibe if you're not careful and considered about the flavor you want and when you're talking about careful and considered about the flavor you want you can do that with any subclass i think aberrant mind forces you to do it in a good way but that's but that's kind of the whole point of, of subclasses. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. If your if your player wants to take certain spells and uh, you know play a certain character, then yeah, maybe they won't feel like taking Circle of Stars Druid because it doesn't necessarily fit that aesthetic. But the question wasn't about like what's the easiest subclass um, you know that has flavor to take because it, flavor is about serving up certain purpose with the sort of almost like reconfigured mechanics of in this case the subclass and i feel like although maybe it's more niche to take circle of stars druid because you can only have aesthetically like certain um spells or abilities to kind of fit that vibe you a you can still find creative ways to entwine other spells like the insect when you talked about or entangle like just giving them like a cosmic flare or some sort of 
I don't, I mean, I mean, just off the top of the head, there's all sorts of ways you as a player or as a DM could, you know, um, fit spells into the subclass, but also like the, if the flavor of the subclass is there for you to take, if that's what you want to take. And, uh, as far as Aberrant Mind being, uh, available for any character you want to play. I feel like that takes away uh, from the flavor because it makes it more vague and makes it more solely based in the aesthetic of being this psychic Cthulhu type being. Because, I mean, other than that, you're still just kind of a sorcerer using psychic powers instead of, you know, other types of power. And it, and it doesn't really I disagree. inform I, the character as much. I dis I disagree there because first off, um, to the point of like reflavoring spells and stuff, I think that falls in the category of like potential for the player and like stuff that you can do, like 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 the prodigy feat. Like yeah, you can make it flavorful. It's not inherently flavorful on its own. Entangle is not inherently something besides grasping binds, and that's not what we're arguing here. Um, and then I also think that a breadth of flavor is not like casting a wide net in terms of flavor does not decrease the amount of flavor because if you read these options uh they are like they are varied one of the psionic uh options is a psychic wind from the astral sea carried psionic energy to you when you use these powers faint motes of light sparkle around you that's very visceral that's very um that's very involved um, and it's also very different than you were exposed to the Far Realm's warping influence. You are convinced that a tentacle is now growing on you, but no one else can see it. All of these origins, like there's an inherent character to that. And because those characters are varied, I argue that the Aberrant Mind Sorcerer has more flavor. It's just bursting it in different directions. It's flavor in a different shape rather than the narrow point um, that Circle of Stars is. Real quick, we're still in a bit of chaos right now, but I do want to hear, I've heard nothing about Hexblade Warlock. Go yeah. back and forth from the source from the Druid. Before going to closing statements, I want to, Jake, any so, thoughts on that? I know, I'd rather someone just challenge it and then I'll counter that. I, I, have, I have some challenges that I've thought of for the Hexblade Warlock. The Hexblade Warlock, their greatest flavor is that they have almost zero flavor. All of the Hexblade Warlocks um, that I, it's the default patron. When you read their flavor text, it's like, maybe they're from the Raven Queen, they have enchanted weapons, but these enchanted weapons could be created from something else. They're packed at the blade. Um, all of their all of their abilities, like, they're, they're purely mechanical. You curse someone, there's no visual component to the curse or anything, and you crit on a 19 or 20, and you add your proficiency bonus to the damage. Um, it's, it's something that the Hexblade Warrior, Hexblade Warlocks that I enjoy most are the ones that create their own flavor in the subclass. It's good because it's a default. It's like the champion fighter. It's you can you can do something like make an ocean themed one in critical role. You can do something that I have a player coming up who made um, themselves their own patron and their sword is a phylactery that they stabbed into themselves. That's great flavor that the player came up with because Hexblade is so vague and unflavorful that it can fit whatever specific niche vibe that you want. Uh, well, um, I see what you're saying, but uh, I would say that the idea of having a, a sword that's most likely sentient uh, is flavorful, and it provides um, something that most no, none of the subclasses can do, really. I mean, yes, you could pick up a sentient item, but that's beyond the argument. Um, yeah, and I mean, it does provide all the opportunities, 
but just the idea of having this sword or whatever weapon it is, it can be any weapon, and that's another point for the flavor, it could be anything, um, is pretty cool. Like you just, you can deliberate with this sword depending on what your DM wants to do with it. You could. I agree, but every warlock can deliberate with their patron. Well, but that depends. Like most DMs do it, that it's so, very hard to communicate with your patron. We can go back uh, and forth on this, but for the sake of time, we gotta move into our closing statements. I can't let you guys argue forever, as much as I would like to hear that. Um, who wants to start? Just a quick final remark. Um, I think that the aberrant mind, well, you can argue about um, flavor in like it, fl like the quality of the flavor uh, of like the Circle of Stars or the Hexblade Warlock, Twilight Cleric, any of these awesome flavorful options. You can argue about the quality of their flavor. You can't argue about the efficiency of the flavor of the aberrant mind sorcerer. It has flavor in all different sorts of character types that you want to use, and that flavor works equally well for each of them. You are turning into a living horror movie as you are gaining power, and uh, it is reflected in each aspect of your abilities. It is reflected in each aspect of your spell casting, and it is reflected in the way that you gain your powers. I'll go next. Uh, I'll say... Again, look, maybe this is a low blow for me to take Circle of Stars Druid when our moderator is playing one, a very beloved one in our current campaign. But that does not take away from the fact that it really is the, the most flavorful subclass because in its, in its mechanics, in its concept, it explores another purpose or facet of the Druid that kind of diversifies um, what most people sort of automatically go to as the flavor of a Druid. And by having this, um, this like, astrological theme to it, it, like, pre it takes the abilities and the essence of what a druid is and adds them to sort of a new, like, <clears throat> a new lane of play and concept and, like, character um, potential. And I do push back on the fact that there's only a limited uh, both character type you can use for a circle of stars druid just off the top of my head maybe you, instead of just being this like astronomy scientist you can be like a hippie horoscope person you know like there are all sorts of lanes you just have to kind of think about it and the same thing goes with the spells and abilities like there are always ways for you to fit it in uh, and enhance it even more so yeah circle of stars druid very flavorful very cool bada bing uh, okay, I'll go. Uh, I think one thing that my subclass does more better than the other two uh, is uniqueness. Now I'm going to stick to that because I think uh, they all of these uh, provide like a flavorful template, but I think both theirs can be achieved through other subclasses and through other means. I think Cory's especially so. You just be a divination wizard, for example, with like an affinity to the stars. It's much the same thing. Uh, or just be anything with like a, an astrologist kit um, and kind of with Scots just you could be a great old one warlock you could take the telepathic feet stuff like that um, but I think you can't really achieve what mine is having a sentient being that you draw your power from and it does provide you a lot of things to do with that but um, I think it, it's unique and it's it's pretty cool all right. There's some very interesting uh, things going out there. I 
I did my best to be as objective and fair as possible. I will always come my biases. I have a, I do have an aberrant mind, so that's a character I've been wanting to play for a while. Yeah, that's um, why I picked it. <laughs> I knew it. Um, his name is Rickatoni. I also play an aberrant mind. I love them. Yeah, my, my guy's cool though. His name is Rickatoni. He's a tiefling who wears a backward snapback hat and is always mad to the, the sort of the snapback part of the hat. He's very fun. One day he'll make an appearance. But before that, we gotta finish our debate. Uh, ooh, question two. So, D&D is designed, designed for a sword and sorcery setting, but it can be flavored to fit any kind of genre. You know, you've seen mysteries or westerns, things like that, sci-fi. But uh, unfortunately, not every mechanic translates easily from high fantasy to something else, especially magic. Now, I want to know from you guys, what is the best way to flavor spells so that it makes sense in these non-fantasy settings? And for the sake of being as objective as possible, I told you guys to choose a RPG setting that isn't fantasy or setting theme genre, and then choose a specific way to flavor spells for that thing you've chosen. Um, it's okay if you guys have similar uh, settings or whatever, just choose one way to reflavor spells and magic to fit into these non-fantasy worlds. Scott, you went first last time. All right, I will roll Corey Jake to see who goes first now. All right, Jake, you're going first this time. Whenever you're ready, Jake. All right, I'll, be, I'll, I'll start off with being honest. I've never DM'd uh, a non-sword and sorcery game, so this argument's going to be a bit whack, but I'm going to go for an urban setting. And I think magic, right? You get your magic through drugs. I think this is something very uh, prevalent in today's urban uh, culture. Uh, I think it's with the times, I mean, you could always take the easy option, say there's always this underground uh, magic culture, but you know what? This, this really blends in something real really there in society um did you say uh, trucks i'm sorry drugs yeah drugs, drugs. drugs. oh okay i, I thought heard heard trucks. no heard trucks what <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I wanted I, this is a break in the time i wanted to make sure that i understood me too no, 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 I, did hear spell book. I also <laughs> hear there are magical trucks okay. going around the place drugs. Cool. Drugs, yes. Continue. No. Um, but you know, you can work in like how this works in a system. So as you level up, you only have a certain amount of spell slots, right? But you don't want to take too many drugs or you'll overdose. So you're limited to the amount of spell slots you would have at a normal level, right? And as you level up, you have a better affinity to drugs and you can move up the ladder. Um, and I mean, high level spells are of course more, more potent drugs, so cure wounds just might be like a dose of cow pole, wish would probably be something like a slab of cocaine, um, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, if, and if, if, if this drug is a insensitive matter, uh, then you could just do perform performance enhancing drugs, oh wait, that, that is still drugs, um, but you know, haven't you ever wanted to be a wizard that just doses on ketamine to get a spell? <laughs> Haven't you ever wanted that? I'm not sure how ketamine would help very much in combat. But... Hey, no, divination, right? It works. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it fits, it fits in well with the urban setting. Um, and, you know, technology where it is, it could be realistic in the future. May, may, maybe, maybe... Uh, cod sweets will give you flaming hands or something. I don't know, something like that. Okay. DM's discretion. 
DM's discretion. Jake, Jake has created two very compelling worlds in my mind now. One, his weird tripped out drug world, and then the other one where you cast magic missile and three little like fire trucks come out and go boom, boom, boom. They're like hot wheels just going at the fastest speed. Every time, I mean, every time you try and cast sickening radiance, a big like Amazon van shows up and you pick out the package. <laughs> I, I, I also, yeah. I did hear trucks. And I was very confused. I was waiting. Was this like a like a car setting? Like did Jake go full? You know, may, off maybe. The rails, I mean, off road. <laughs> maybe there's some truck drug. I don't know. No, but I do. I do. Your argument was good, and I like you said. I like the comparisons you made. I think it's actually a good argument and a good way to replay her magic in an urban setting. Um. Next up, though, Corey, you went second last time. Yeah, so in Scott, you're up now. <sighs> I mean, it's hard to beat trucks. I'm, I don't think anyone took trucks. trucks magic. I just think of the trucks, my dear. I wish, I wish that it was trucks and not drugs. Trucks would have won. <laughs> you would not yeah. have had to debate trucks. I mean, <laughs> so we're going for the second best way to flavor magic. Should I, should I, yeah, yeah. Should I change my argument right now? <laughs> I don't right. recommend okay. you do. Okay. But whenever you're ready. The trouble that you run into a lot when reflavoring spells is that, like, uh, in the superhero genre, most characters have powers around a theme. In sci-fi, you have to pick the laser spells. Your spell choices are restricted for the sake of flavor in that genre. That's why I am reflavoring magic in a particular way that I'll explain in a moment to atom punk technology for games themed like the Jetsons, Spaceman Spiff, and like a pre-apocalypse fallout. You turn evocation spells into ray guns with like warbling circular rings, throw instant unfolding speed suits when you cast haste, uh, used widely commercialized Prestos, Prestidigitation paste to unleash nanites to solve your smallest problems. Not only does this add flavor, uh, allow, allow all of the spells to flavorly exist on whatever character you want without breaking the theme, it also adds a complex socioeconomic dimension to your game that isn't present for Magic in D&D. Spells are products that you can buy. What's the economic position of your fighter? What's the philosophy of a monk? Uh, Reflavoring spells this way as ridiculous 1960s Saturday morning cartoon technology allows you to encompass all of the spells and it allows you to explore new themes of industrialization, class stratification, and consumerist, homog consumerist homogenization. And if you're changing genres while playing D&D, what else are you doing it for than exploring themes that high fantasy isn't as well suited for? Yeah, you have most of your time. That was... I was not expecting to plot the Adam Punk, but you did. That's yeah. It's because it's nigh omnipotent, like technology. You look at the Jetsons; they could pull whatever out of like the the side of the screen. Uh, you can have whatever magic you want. It's not like nothing breaks the. Oh, how are you really like taking find familiar and putting it in space? You know. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a fun one. Interesting. Ooh, I'm. So far, so good. Corey, finish us off. What? I'm doing? sure you have a fantastic way to, uh, you know, add to these two already established methods. Corey, what do you have? How are you going to reflavor magic in your chosen setting? 
Magic is one of, if not the most important facet of the D&D identity. In other words, you can't have D&D without some form of magic. And when it comes to genre, there's almost like a level of criteria that must be had with certain iconography and themes in a similar way. Like with Westerns, my genre of choice for this question, there are certain things that one simply cannot leave out. One which I would like to offer first is the real life example of gold, a staple of the West, something so coveted and valuable and quintessential to the Western experience back in the 1800s. Another important icono uh, iconographic symbol is a staple in Western fiction especially, but we'll get to that in a second. When I was first learning spell mechanics in D&D, I stumbled across a very helpful video made by a man whose name I do not remember. He likened spells to shots and spell slots to ammunition, and it all fell into place for me. Casting spells is exactly like handling a weapon, a specific weapon that any true Western character cannot live without, an extension of themselves. It's another G word, Amanda. It rhymes with fun. Spellcasters in my Western campaign will cast their spells using a big iron, and their ammunition will be made of gold, a coveted material in the land with special powers, or reflavored arcana, that will act as their spell slot. Okay, imagine your wizard spellcaster firing a golden bullet into a horde of enemies that explodes into an infernal fireball, or perhaps a cleric shooting a golden bullet that shimmers into a rejuvenating instance of healing word to an ally. The ammunition-like nature of spellcasting lends itself to the six-shooter iconography of the Western genre, and what better way to differentiate the marginal and arcane use of abilities than a material like gold? This reflavoring maintains the inherent mechanics of magic and opens the door for plenty of opportunities to arise for a DM to combine the inherent symbols of the Western genre with the mechanics of D&D, golden bullet spell slots, revolver arcane focuses, ye freaking ha. <laughs> oh, I'm so surprised. Uh, I was not prepared for start with G and, and, and rhymes with fun. <laughs> um, now, this is, you know, what I got for, you know, I, I made fun of Corey's previous choice about the prodigy feat being, you know, very integral to a character, and then he made fun of my choice of the uh, cowboy and the chef feat, and then I'm like, I'll remember this in regards to, you know, cowboy stuff, and I would be surprised if, Corey, did you, did you take my hint? Did you bring in a cowboy just because of that? I mean, I, I'm also, I've also been working on a Western campaign for a, a little while now, but I, I won't say that last episode had no effect on me because it definitely okay. did. Wow. I love all these. Well, just to clarify, because I was laughing too hard to get all my notes down, it, um, gold kind of powers a lot of the magic too in your... Exactly. Right yeah. Gold is pretty much the source of, of that power in this, in this world. I'm so excited for you guys to argue why yours are objectively the best, because they're all fantastic, but I want to hear why the other ones are less fantastic. I'll put a couple minutes on my timer and go and discuss, debate, not discuss. So, uh, I'll start this one. Uh, I think we've all done great at creating a, a, a historical reference to our new way. I think one, one thing we differ, though, is in... Um, I actually don't remember what yours was Scott, but oh yes. Um, but the way it can affect mechanics. So you know, with drugs, you can't just uh get two liters of cowpon and down it. I won't go well. So you gotta, you gotta. So perhaps spells will be limited. Um, perhaps you can't get all these different spells in one go. Or I, I said, as lower levels, you have less spell slots. And I've actually explained that through. The fact that you can't overdose from drugs like why would a low level character in this western campaign not have access to high level spells i mean it's a gun right it's not actually their own power that's doing it and if it's gold that's the answer why 
they could just go and try and get rich. Um, and I guess that's kind of similar with the Scots, right? Ray gun, I mean, if the low level got their hands on a ray gun, they themselves have nothing really to do with it. Um, but drugs, you know, as you level up, you get, you become more attuned, you become a better, you know, druggy. Uh, I mean, and I, what? On top what? Of that, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Jake, Jake, you gotta realize. I just was taking notes. notes. I was so consumed by taking what? On, on, on top of that, uh, I don't know what I said. I'm just going. No, I'm just here, going with it. Here's the on thing. On top of that, as you, what is cooler? As you level up, you become a better druggy. <laughs> Look, you, Jake, you can apply that same, like, way of thinking to both mine and Scott's uh, uh, standpoints. Like, if <laughs> the, way, the way magic works in D&D, I mean, it's not like you automatically have access or you don't have, like, that magic is this commodity that you, like, let me, let me rephrase this, okay? As you level up as a spellcaster, you get more attuned to magic. Right. And in, I mean, I'm sure all of ours, we can kind of think either one, these are all commodities that we just kind of have and don't get more attuned to, or these are having inherent powers, things we have to attune to more by leveling up. So either way, we're kind of on the same page there. Um, but like, exactly. my, but like my point is, if, if I have no experience, uh, firing heavy arms, but if I was presented with a giant ass Gatling gun, I could pull the trigger and it would fire whatever okay, spells in it. Okay, but that same thing applies to yours. You just said a, a big like thing of cocaine. I know, no, but I die. The point is you overdose. The point is you overdose. <laughs> yeah, Jake, you run out of bullets eventually. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What you happens die. when you're out of spell okay. slots? What happens when you're out of spell slots in this world? Well, then the, the powers of the drugs just run out, and you either need Jake, more. is that like a burnout or something? Like, what, what? do you do? Yeah, that'll be, I mean, yeah. Do you need and, more and, drugs? <laughs> yes. It's, it's a commentary on society. You'll, <laughs> enter the, you'll, you'll enter this cycle of needing more drugs to power yourself, and you'll become more and more addicted. And Corey. as you get... <laughs> as you Corey, get I want to move on to yours. Kids, don't do drugs. No, 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 no. I want to go back to the drugs real quick, because I, I want to know, what do you constitute as a drug... Like, for the sake of magic, because it's like caffeine, a drug. Well, fucking, um, is that like a cancer drug? This is a uh, DM discretion thing, but it would be probably some scientifically enhanced chain of drugs, or perhaps just drugs in this world inherently have this power. It's up to the DM, really. I mean, I I don't know if 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 you have uh, cow pole. I don't know why I keep using cow pole as an example. I like how it tastes. Um, maybe if you have cowpaw and it gives you some dangerous spell, that would be a bit weird. But if you have something like pure wounds, cowpaw actually heals you, uh, kind of. You know so what this? You, you know what this feels like? This feels like the section of like a 1950s anti-weed film before they discover <laughs> weeds' uh, dangerous after effects. And listen here, see, I hear you get all these uh, these crazy powers from it. See, look, look, it's it's, and I mean. When when the player finally racks up the, the willpower to snort like a kg of cocaine, they should be rewarded with spells like Wish. No! It's a reward. <laughs> 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 this poses so many problems. And 
and it's kind of it, it plays with morality. Is, we we can do we can do we can talk about this this flawed morality all day. You're right. We should probably move, move on. on. Okay, let's okay, move on. A comment, a statement from me. Don't do drugs. This is DMD. Move on. Let's move on. Corey, Corey, I love yours dearly. It's so specific. It's so incredibly specific to this one. Like I want to play in this Western campaign, but like. It's one. It's one world where 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 gold is magic, and you can shoot it from guns uh, in order to create magic. Like that's not that's not the Western genre at that point. That's the Western genre as a starting template for this one hyper hyper specific world. You know. Well, I mean, we're just reflavoring magic here. I mean, I understand there are so much more like facets of the Western genre than just guns and gold. But as far as magic was concerned, I wanted to find something that I could equate to basically like the existence of like arcana in D&D and like something kind of on a similar just like value and just like, I mean, I don't know. I just figured gold was a pretty good substitute for that. And just the way the spells work mechanically, I figured it could work well using. No, I get the I get the analogy. I like the slots and like the 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 places where you can put the bullets. What I what I'm saying is like, what if you want to play a Western style game where gold doesn't create giant spell effects when you load it into a gun? Like, what if you want to play kind of a a more grounded Western style game? It's it's like. This is Western, but it's only the specific subgenre of Western where Corey does his 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 awesome golden guns idea. In in that case, so it's hard. In real quick, as a moderator, I am considering if you have a Western game in which you want to have those almost larger than life magical effects. To me, it would make sense that oh, gold could have such power. I mean, so that's not really you know. Can, like, is it always gold? But like when I'm if you as a DM want to be like. Uh, Gold is the whole point of the campaign. Maybe gold has become a scarcity, and now like the, the BBG hoards the gold. What then? I mean, I sure. Mean, well, same really same thing that. about drugs. What if drugs have become a scarcity? And well, maybe. The, um, the, okay, I'm just saying, like the to, to Scott to your point. In that case, it's kind of like hard and almost restrictive to add spells in in a campaign like that. Like. If we're playing D&D, you got to have some form of, of, like, means to cast spells or to, like, have a form of magic if Real it's quick. not specifically magic, though. Before we get into final closing kind of statements, I've heard not a whole lot about Adam Punk. And yeah, I also interested about Adam Punk. Uh, yeah, I think it's a cool idea. I think it will be, from my understanding of it, very complicated in combat. It sounds like all these different gadgets and gizmos do different things. Um, it won't. It I, won't be complicated in combat. I want to be very clear about, you say, I cast this spell, and then you pull out a fun little gadget and gizmo. You don't need, I'm, I'm not complicating the rules. I'm not adding additional mechanics. This is a pure reskinning of thing, things. If you want to be like, I pull out my ray gun that shoots a fireball, and then I twist the setting to lightning bolt mode, and then I twist the setting to synaptic static mode you can do that if you also want to do a fun little advertisement for presto's prestidigitation paste you can also do that the main thing i'm arguing for is having it be this like consumerist dimension of the world and having it be like naturally tied to the same concepts that adam punk likes to likes to cover suburbia economics 
um, and the growing consumerist homogenization of the world. And I think that this flavor um, lends itself well to that campaign setting. I guess at that Perfect. point, I would just worry about just just one quick thing. I mean, I okay. like the, this idea a lot and both ideas a lot. I think that one might run the risk of just like kind of having, I don't know, just the way I'm thinking of it in my head, it's just a very much like singular tone. Like, look at this comical way I'm pulling out like this this gadget that I can use for a spell. Like, I just don't really see it filling out any other like tonal um but like a, a tonal aspect than just like kind of cartoony jetsons like you described earlier all right with that i think we should head into our closing statement let you guys argue for a little longer as to get all into rail talking about drugs great hot second clarify don't do drugs cocaine won't let you cast wish well, yeah talk to your doctor if you think you need any drugs for any other reason with that being said, only the legal ones. I mean, hey, wait, real quick, real quick, isn't the uh, isn't the title of our last episode that the episode that released today is is skill empowerment just taking Adderall? Yeah, <laughs> so that's the title. But I mean, yeah, I mean, with that, with that, be oh, with that being said, I want to hear closing arguments. We can just kind of get through this, and we can move on to question three. You know, the, the only notes I made for this this question is really, what's cooler, firing a ray gun or getting scooted on meth? That's all I wrote. Scooted <laughs> on meth! <laughs> anyway, final statements. I think they were all cool ideas. Uh, I think the, the, the idea of drugs uh, fits very well in urban settings. I, I don't think we can deny the fact that drugs are a big thing in uh, urban culture, uh, whether that be a, a bad thing. Um, but I think one of the things that the other that I don't think was counted really was the fact that leveling, I don't think makes too much sense in the other two settings. I'd still think that a lower level I don't think there's much stopping them from getting one of these higher powered things. Uh, I, I don't think you could say like a chewy to a guns, the, the gun is doing the work or etc. Um, but I think the, the drugs fit symbol, the urban uh, setting the most, and uh, it really gives a commentary on today's age. <laughs> and trucks. Uh, no, that's a different one. <laughs> Uh, I would, I would argue, um, that, uh, it like adding an economic dimension, adding, um, adding an economic dimension and a dimension that's strongly tied to the themes of your world, um, will not, will not create any of the problems. It, it create any of the problems that Jake is saying that it will create. You can't get your hands on this higher quality product thing because you don't have the class status yet, or you don't have, um, the, you don't have the money for it yet. You don't have the invisible magic credits or whatever your world, uh, puts forward as like the leveling, uh, requirements in order to get your thing. Um, I think that there are a, a, a hundred ways to balance it in game to make it fit with the leveling thing. Uh, leveling is just a thing of RPGs that everybody has to kind of get around. Um, and uh, secondly, I do think that there is diverse flavor within this because you can have like your spaceman stiff spit, you 
or you can have like sudden scary moments where you cast insect plague and you release like your fun little worrying gadget thing and a thousand nanites eat somebody alive and things get very grisly and like a dark sci-fi all of the second all of a sudden um atom punk is a diverse genre that can have diverse tones and i think that's reflected uh in this you are killing people with these spells um uh jake we've already touched on the morality and the the sort of commoditization of of all of and quite frankly all of our uh, our methods of spell casting uh and scott fair enough um I, again i like all of these ideas but i personally feel like um having this this connection to the western genre as well as the very iconic sort of uh uh visual and and thematic significance that is like the revolver this six shooter this big iron uh, that ties very well into spell casting uh, as well as the you know again commoditized very valued uh material of gold uh um employs a lot of flavor in what could be a super super fun genre that is a western campaign all right wow this was a fun one i love a fun time trying to score this but uh we're gonna move into the third question my players don't i keep saying players debaters similar things we're playing we're, we're just we're playing. All, yeah we're all we're yeah. all players in the hands of god no, i'm joking yes and i am god so Really, a big purpose of flavor is to add dimension and personality and uniqueness to sort of standard mechanics, right? So what I've done is I'm gonna, or I'm gonna, going to do is send you guys a D&D Beyond character sheet link to a level five generic human fighter that I've created. <laughs> uh, Corey's face right now is <laughs> very entertaining. Um, I've everything filled out except for uh, the name, background, and appearance. Uh, they're standard human fighter, not even uh, variant human. They got those generic stats. They don't have any magic. I think they want champion as their subclass. Uh, you are welcome to swap out some equipment if you want. Uh, the languages and any tool proficiencies, not skill proficiencies, not not skill proficiencies, as long as the kind of number of things are the same in the end. If you want to also give them some items to fit some flavor I want you to give to them, you're welcome to even some magical items within reason for a level 5 character. But I want to give you guys some time, we'll stop recording, and I want to see who can add the most flavor to this white bread of a D&D character. What's um, the, the ASI? The ASI has already chosen for us? Yeah. Cool. You, the only things you can change are name, appearance, background like or not background is in terms of the uh mechanical background but backstory as well as if you i think of elven as the language you may change that and some tool proficiencies to fit whatever their backstory is as long as the number of things are the same uh feel free to ask questions while we're not recording but yeah i want to see who can add the most flavor the most spice the most fun to a human fighter all right so you all have had a few minutes to add some flavor to this generic human fighter as i called it i want to hear who has the best you know reflavoring reskinning such a just nice 
generic overall base. We even discovered that I forgot I gave it a background, like mechanically. That wouldn't matter. He's a, this guy is, you know, plain as is. I think we're going to start with Corey, I believe you're going first. Perfect. Oh, right. So the champion fighter is described as focusing on the development of raw physical power honed to deadly perfection. Uh, combine rigorous training with physical excellence to deal devastating blows. Now that's a pretty broad statement, but I feel like I would like to hone in on the sort of just uh, honing of that deadly perfection and that uh, determination to uh, do some real damage. So my character, her name is uh, Fira Me uh, Muntar. Uh, she, her backstory is that she is a recently escaped prisoner, hell-bent on getting revenge on uh, the man who put her in jail. And so uh, her appearance is extremely fit and strong, long, messy, unkempt hair. Her, I swapped out Elvish with Dwarvish because for some reason I feel like there would be a lot of dwarves in prison. Um, and I gave her a thieves tool proficiency. Wow, what's proficiency. that supposed to mean? I just, they're rambunctious, I'm sorry. No, it's no I get come it. Come on. It's, it's Jake, Jake's campaign, come on. Grimdor, come on. If he weren't the descendant of a god, he'd be in prison. Anyway, uh, uh, I gave her tool proficiency in thieves tools because she's an escaped convict. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, so just kind of using that champion uh, concept of developing raw physical power because of a uh, sort of primal... Uh, character that's hell bent on uh, getting revenge on the person who, uh, the character who put her in prison. Yeah, that's, perfect. That's it. Love it. You say her name is Pira Muntar? Uh, Fira. Fira. F E R A. Oh, and, and uh, she's got a, a quotation nickname. They called her Grudge back in the clink. But yeah. Love that. Big, strong woman. <sighs> Love that. Well, I think next up is Jake. I believe you're a second. You've not gone second yet. So, Jake, I'd love to hear what flavor did you add to this human fighter? Sure. Uh, my one is called uh, Demarius Crestfallen. Uh, their extra language or alternate language is dragon language, dragonborn. I don't know what it's called. Draconic. But draconic. Um, but uh, they were born of a wealthy dragonborn aristocratic family high up in the social order and he was kind of bred and buttered up to be a leading person in the public, maybe the leader of a society and uh, Demarius always wanted this, right? Uh, him being a, a, a dragonborn after all. Um, but I, I forget. but he was gifted, he's gifted with the arcane arts and stuff very good with magic, especially clerical magic. He was very arrogant. And he always insulted those he thought bland and unimportant. And he especially hated humans, for they clearly had no apparent skills or abilities. However, one day on a stroll, he happened to hop on a human, looks like a diviner, and he treated that person poorly. Uh, and he was cursed that he would lose his precious dignity and brilliance that he loved so much about himself. And he would become an outcast to his family until he learned humility and respect and things. And so he was cursed to become a generic human with no talents in magic, but rather just kind of a skill with a blaze. Uh, and he, he never used swords before, seeing them as brutish and uncivilized, but now he must learn. And 
he must now uh, that even the most seemingly dull people can burst with kind of flavor. He must learn kindness, compassion, selflessness. And to do this, he has to rise to the, a great rank. And in doing so, surely he will realize himself that humans can be cool. Well, so we got a reverse Beauty and the Beast sort of deal. I the same premise, but instead, it goes from like, instead of human to monster, it's monster to human. All right. You, you had me there at first. It's like, oh, this is not a human. But then you pulled out the curse. I'm like, okay, I see it. I do. All right, two great options so far. Um, Scott, how did you flavor this character? All right. So to provide a little bit of context, there's a photo that I have here on my phone from an excerpt from a farmer's almanac where these two parents decided to post what appears to be some sort of advertisement for how great their toddler is. And I have been waiting. I'll read you the excerpt, obviously, with my character's name put in. Just I've been waiting at some point to play a character that is the product of this kind of parenting. And I think a champion fighter is the exact right mode for it. Swapping in my character's name, Bronwyn Rose Conway Good is a gorgeous toddler who is a pillar of beauty, symmetry, physical strength, and intelligence. Bronwyn's mom began following a Weston Price-style diet in early 2013. After years of nutrient-loading, blah, 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 foods included before, during, and after pregnancy and throughout lactation were cod liver oil, bone broth, bone marrow, pasteurized meat, liver pâtés, wild-caught fish, pastured duck and chicken eggs, fermented food, it goes on. Um, not even two years old, Bronwyn has mastered almost 700 words and phrases and possesses skills and comprehensions well ahead of her age. You get the general idea. I want um, to have a person who has such incredible, a family like this, who has such incredibly high expectations of them, that has to hone their way, that same like flavor of like physical strength, I'm just a pure fighter, that's all I have. Uh, and you have this character who pressures themselves over and over and over again, Bronway Rose, Conway Good, uh, staying late at night out on the battlefield, I have to, I have to make a critical hit, um, or else they'll know that I'm not what they expected to be that character. Wow. Oh, wow. That was a great excerpt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think you know, only five minutes for chaos here because we're going, we've, we spent so long talking about drugs and my biases. So let's, let's see, oh, you guys five minutes for chaos before we wrap it up. Debate. I like these ideas. <laughs> I'll say that up front. I, I like all of these. Yeah. They're good ideas. Um, Jake, I feel like you're cheating your way around the human fighter. No, they'll they yeah. entirely be being played as a human champion fighter. I understand, part of background. I understand mechanically. I understand mechanically, but there is a certain promise in this of like, Oh, okay. When I get enough character development, I become this high-level dragonborn sorcerer. No, but the, uh, the point is, the point, the whole point in doing this is that they will realize that perhaps they don't want to go back. Hmm, that's the that's the question, because they're going to realize that humans aren't so dull after all, and that maybe being maybe he'll realize that the pressures of being part of a kind of senatorial whatever family. Uh, aren't so cool and maybe he just likes swinging things with a sword maybe he's made friends on the way that wouldn't like him as this 
pompous dragonborn. Yeah, makes you think. Yeah, my thing, my my thing is, it feels like, in order to get an engaging character, we are still taking a race and class. Like you can make lots of engaging characters in D and D by taking a race and class combination and sticking them together, and you get a you get a a fun thing from that. And I feel that rather than taking this generic baseline and running with it to a strong character, we're taking a strong race class combination and then porting it over towards a human fighter. Jake, I also think that while there is a nice little flavor in the in the curse itself, Dragonborn to Human, I don't think there's much, if anything, in your character that has to do with them being a champion. Like, fighter, sure, human fighter, but, like, the champion fighter, like, I, I feel like the character that you presented can kind of just I mean, be any subclass. I, the way I matter. thought, because I think champion fighter is the fighter subclass that's the most just kind of, her I swing my sword. Uh, and I think that that would have been the ultimate idea of brutish and uncivilized in the eyes of what this guy when he was a dragonborn. So I think the champion would be the the most dramatic change from a master of the arcane arts to any subclass of fighter. Like all the others, even battle master is more like uh, delicate, kind of tactical. Champion is just like smash. I speaking of the flavor of champion, this like in the very name itself is this premise of like i have to win i have to be the best i have to be the physically strongest and that's why i like bronwyn rose conway good um for creating this like motive this interior motivate you can even do a thing where like every time they crit miss you have to make a wisdom save save or be stunned for one round because the expectations um are just so high for this person um, I think uh, that it's uh, it emphasizes the flavor that is already there in the class uh, and builds in a very strong motivation. I mean, I, I, I think I think the idea of it is cool, uh, being determined. I what was their name? Bronwyn Rose Conway Good. Bronwyn, I'm, okay, I'm not going to try to like like I see what you're doing. I like it's not a big it's not a huge change you know like they're really determined but other characters like most lots of characters people make their characters determined and I think you're the background you've led to is pretty cool but it's not like you've come to any um cool wholly original conclusions there they're just a really determined person and I don't see much other things than that coming from the background you put forward yeah, it's standard. It's 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 standard, like the human fighter is standard. But you have instead of like determination coming from inner strength, you have determination that comes from inner weakness. Uh, the flavor is really uh, in the RP with this, having uh, those kind of expectations for yourself and having um, that like innate. Now I need to be superior to other people too. There's like an anxious superiority that you have to project towards other people. And looking at these stats. You are not superior in a lot of ways. This thing describes them as pillar of beauty, symmetry, and intelligence. They have the physical strength part down, but not the charisma is a 10, the intelligence is a 10. You have this person who is wrestling with themselves. Um, and I think that even though you're not like reflavoring the sword as like 
this special flourish kind of thing. Um, I, I, I think that having just that motivation for why you swing the sword and why you crit on the 19 or 20, because you have to in order to be worth it to yourself, I think that's very flavorful. All right, that we'll move into final statements. Ronwin Rose Conway Good. Um, <laughs> Ronwin Rose Conway Good uh, has uh, has a um, has a, uh, a a depth to her in this flavor. Uh, you can imagine a character arc for this character. You can imagine um, how they would um, how they would function in an adventuring party. How they would clash with the other martial members of the party, how they would clash with spellcasters, those with higher ability scores than her, those with lower ability scores than her. Um, and you have this very flavorful RP, which then turns into this natural arc for the character. This is a character with a beginning and an end point um, that you can clearly see when you're creating this thing and you get that sense of that arc. And I think that the emotional flavor is more important for a human fighter uh, than any other kind of like background flavor or like aesthetic flavor because you are choosing the standard option now you make it complex um uh, in terms of my character fira muntar i think she is the best fit of having a a backstory in that uh especially like revenge and hellbent uh, uh, mentality in terms of being informed by the champion uh, subclass uh, denotations of developing raw physical power, training, physical accident, uh, excellence, etc. Um, Jake, I th again, I think your character had more to do um, with human. Although I do understand uh, the sort of her thing you mentioned with the the champion. Fighter. I feel like there are a lot of other subclasses from possible other classes that have a similar herd or fashion that they could, could be humans from. And Scott, I really love the flavor of the backstory uh, and the pairing with Champion Fighter, but I'm not necessarily sure if uh, the backstory, the flavor from the backstory informs them being a champion, because similarly, I think there could be another subclass from another class that that backstory could fit well with uh, too. I guess I'll go. Uh... I don't know, I saw that why champion wouldn't fit. Well, I would question that fighter even, you, you'll, you'll want her needs even necessarily be a fighter. I mean, it's a revenge prison story. That could be any class, I think. Um, uh, and I think my one really uses the, the stereotypical blandness of a human to kind of add to who the character is and their identity with their whole mission to prove that humans are not necessarily uh, as bland as they think. And I think while the other two are cool, uh, I don't think that they necessarily rely on this person being a human, which I think is the important thing here. Um, but also my one does fit in that fighter champion. And I already explained why. All right. Wow. What a fun debate this has been. <laughs> I like it. I have, it was a good time. So many, so many, a lot of good discourse. Very, it wasn't constructive, it was just fun. Uh, I think yeah, what is flavor? <laughs> what is flavor? I didn't mean to find it in the beginning. Um, hoping it wouldn't cause any conflicts. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I had a good time, though. I hope you guys did, too. Oh, but yeah. I have determined some winners. I have assigned point values to all your opinions. 
I have judged who's the most creative. And I guess ready to hear the results. Should I do the final? Should I? You know, I'll say overall winners first, and then kind of break it down from there. Sure. So it was a very close episode because the whole thing about flavor being subjective. You guys had a lot of great ideas, and it was really hard to score them objectively, which is why there's a difference between third and first place with only four points overall, and. Uh, Oil winner Scott, I have you winning by only four points. And Corey and Jake, you guys both tied for second. So Jake, you didn't really get last. You got second, technically. You got second and third. So it was a. That's twice as many places. Yeah. Jake, Jake, I'll take third. I'll take third. <laughs> so I don't know if I want to become. I, I don't mind. <laughs> hey, it's all right. I just, it, it was very, very close. So just break it down real quick. First question, I think I actually did have Scott coming in first, but point-wise, uh, Corey uh, got a lot there from bonus points, but not because I'm biased or anything, because of some good points he brought up. Uh, unfortunately, in that first round, Jake, you did come in last, but the second round I had, uh, Second round, I had Jake's. Uh, so it's, yeah, Scott, I also take first in the second round. Corey, I had you take third, and Jake, you took second. Um, what's my Should've thoughts on that? Should have gone with that truck idea. Should have gone with that truck idea. <laughs> the yeah, truck. I think the trucks, truck world, <laughs> truck spells. Yeah, I think, you know, Corey got some bonus points, but you go with the Western. I think that was great, but overall, just, it wasn't as strong as Adam Punk, which I think was very a unique take on it all. And I think the drugs held some, I don't know, it held something. I don't know why, it just, it you had also something bonus there, points in there. It, yeah. I did have bonus points that in there, too. Attention grabbing. Like, you know, I think the lesson here, a different the, drug, the, the lesson here is don't let me DM her Urban Seth and get Actually, the lesson here is don't do drugs. That should be a bigger that's lesson. The, that's the title but, of this that, episode, that, you better believe that's it. Also, that's also a lesson. <laughs> but uh, the last one I had, uh, first place, I actually gave it to you, Jake. I think it was really good, and you pl you're the only one who really played on the idea of the human, and I think you did justify it with the, the champion fire being kind of like herder, fighter, I'm big sword, and you played into that. I like the concept. I think, yeah, totally. Go for it. It's all that flavor. It doesn't have to be as, I don't know, emotionally invested as uh, Scott. Maybe Scott, I gave you last place because it's a I just don't think insecurity is a good way to flavor a character. To make them their whole shtick is that they don't believe in themselves. I see where you're going for. I think it's a fun thing. The other ones are more fun, though. Fair enough. And also, this character has low intelligence, low average everything. And I see you're trying to play with that. Wasn't as strong. Uh, Corey's yours is solid, which is good. And it's solid second place in that. Yeah, but in the end, Scott, you still took it with two first places. And. Wow, what an episode. Thank you guys so much for me, giving me your takes on flavor. You know, it's one of my favorite parts of this game. Oh, how, how am I supposed to wrap? How would we summarize and wrap this episode up? So much happened. What's um, your favorite flavor? What's your favorite what's your... drug? <laughs> no! <laughs> no! No! What's your favorite, what's your favorite truck? What's your favorite truck? <laughs> Shelby Silverado, Ford 4x4. Four four. Like, what are we looking at here? Like, yeah, I, ice cream I, I truck. imagine ice cream. <laughs> Favorite flavor Wait, of is, ice cream is, truck is like. 
just summon celestial or holy golden truck appears. <laughs> if you have any, if you have any fun character flavors, you uh, or ways you play with a character or a mechanic, let us know. If you think it's cool, you want to share. Let us know. You would have answered for these. Let us know if you think you should have won. Um, don't forget to you know like, subscribe, do all of those things. And we uh, thank you for listening. Stay tuned till next week. Maybe. And maybe don't do there, drugs. Maybe there is a truck that the drug dealer lives in. And he no. sells all of his drugs from the truck.